welcome back. This is the Multipod. This is episode 99 of the Multipod. Now, hey, this just occurred to me. We're coincidentally talking with somebody today, two people, of course, two people today from Edmonton, the original home of number 99, Wayne Gretzky. So there's a little tie-in <laughs> that sets up our episode today. Yes. My name's Ted. I'm your co-host. Vanessa's with me too. How are you doing today? Hi, everybody. Oh, that was awesome. I never even <laughs> thought of that. But yes, Wayne Gretzky, uh-huh. number 99. What are what do they call him? The, the great one. Uh, the great one, or there's the probably great one. a bunch of nicknames, but yeah. <laughs> and also joining us from Edmonton is Deb. It's nice to have you here. How are you doing? Hey, everybody. I'm happy to be here. Very, very good. And I did have a brush with Wayne Gretzky many years ago. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Just a little... <laughs> It was so long ago, and I was working as an administrator. It was like a temp job. I had a lot of temp jobs throughout my life. Mm. And I was sitting as the receptionist on that day, and he came in. And like, oh, (laughs) my mind went to, (laughs) oh, I know who you are. And, you know, of course, I gave him the the professionalism. He was there to see his friend. So Mm. Was this when he was playing in Edmonton or more recently? Yes. No, long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I should point out too, I, I lived in Edmonton for uh, roughly three months. Oh, in early 2007, I was passing through and needed like a kind of a temporary place to land before I went out to work in the in the Rocky Mountains, in Jasper National Park that summer. So I ended up in Edmonton in um, kind of the northwest part of the city, you know, where the Science Center Museum is, and I think yep. it's 124th Street or something. Inter- Edmonton's interesting. I wonder if people listening would relate to this because most of the streets are all numbered. Mm-hmm. And as someone new to the city, like, I couldn't keep track of it. Like, what's one number from the next, you know? It's like, did I live on one? I think I lived on 130th Street. And it was weird. It kind of felt kind of, I guess, soulless in a way. Like, you don't really connect with a place as much when it's just a number. And yeah. then when you see Jasper Avenue's Main Avenue or what's the other one, White Avenue and, you know, mm-hmm. the odd named place, then you kind of feel that connection. That was an interesting observation. But I can relate to at least Edmonton because I did spend a bit of time there. It is true with the numbers, but at the same time, if you kind of study the map, you kind of start to get it. Like the streets are all north-south and avenues are east-west. And then if you have an address like 12368, you know it's basically 123rd and 68th. So, and then you kind of can like figure it out. But it does take time because when we first moved here, I was like, I have no idea where anything is. And now it's starting. (laughs) I've been here, oh gosh, 2019, three years. (laughs) And it's Three just, years already. Yeah, and it's just starting to make sense. So, yeah. Yeah, it takes a long time. But yeah. my brother, he he's lived here for decades, and he loves to say, oh, it's so easy, and he'll rhyme off Ugh. exactly what you just said, Vanessa. It's like, it's so easy. You just think about the East and the West. And and I never, I actually, I grew up in Ontario, yeah, in a farm. And then, of course, to escape the farmland, I, yeah. I went to Toronto, of course, the big city, and worked there for 20 years. And now I'm back in Edmonton, and I never got used to it. I mm. I can't. I have to look it up. I have to let GPS help me. And uh, truth be told, I moved six months ago to Sherwood Park, which is a county outside of Edmonton. And blissfully, it's all words on the streets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I can kind of see both being like, I can see the numbers and I can see the words and I can see which one, like, they're both 
good or whatever. I will say people here do rattle off. They're like, oh, it's over on 124th and 36th or whatever. And you're like, uh-huh. What? Okay. <laughs> hang on. Give me a second. Yeah. Okay. So 124, 36. Okay. So 124 Street or Avenue. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And then you have to like yes. imagine it in your head. <laughs> anyway, we're, we could go on and about this for the whole podcast, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Well, this this might frame some discussion, I guess, about place and where we settle and where we spend our time. I mean, very true. Deb, for one thing, do you see yourself staying where you are now kind of indefinitely? Or do you think you might move on at some point? Maybe somewhere else other than the Edmonton area or, or somewhere else? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe a year ago when I decided I was going to move, I decided, okay, I'm moving, but I don't know where. And so I just pinned up something quickly on my vision board that says, the next hmm. place I live in, I'm going to live there for eight years. Okay. And and so that's my plan. So I've got seven and a half years to go before <laughs> I have to make a decision. <laughs> so you move to... Sherwood I moved Park. to Sherwood Park, which is really on the outskirts, so it's yeah. easy to get out of town and go hiking, and it's just much quieter. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of like a small town, but with mm. all the big city necessities of shopping, et cetera. Yeah. So it's nice. Yeah, mm. Sherwood Park is nice. We've talked about maybe buying a house out there, but we don't necessarily want to deal with the commute because we both work in Edmonton, and that's not going to change anytime soon. So right. mm-hmm. it's yeah. not too far for us, but... Edmonton, to give some people an idea, is um, it's very suburban. It's very urban sprawl. It has a downtown that's very nice. Like, you know, it's Mm -hmm. got the high rises in the downtown area, but then it's got a lot of spread outside of that. And um, you've got some little suburban communities that are just outside Edmonton. So it's easy to get to Edmonton. But at the same time, I don't know if I want to have a half an hour to 40 minute commute one way, depending on where you're coming from. And, you know, it's just I've done that and I just I don't want that. I think that Edmonton, for Americans that are listening, I think it's very similar to Kansas City from the pictures I've seen, or maybe even Indianapolis, because it's got like, there's a word for it. Skyline. Yeah, the skyline. There you go. Yeah. It looks very much like Kansas City or Indianapolis. So if there's Americans listening, that might give you an idea of what it looks like. And then it's very flat. (laughs) Yeah. Like the mountains are like three hours away, but you can't see them. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Deb, part of your story is the, I guess, the places you've lived and, as you've said, stayed while living or kind of stayed long-term, I think. So are there, I mean, there's a whole list here on your profile, alphabetically, perhaps, and almost. Probably. Antigua, Argentina, <laughs> Peru's there. But then you go back to see Colombia, Cuba, Dominican Republic, Ecuador, France, Italy, Switzerland, and then Greece, Turkey, Guatemala, Mexico, U.S., Bahamas. <laughs> are there any places that, like... Oh, and of course, Santiago. I know you lived in Santiago, Chile for a longer time, right? Yeah, I lived there for eight years. Is that a place that really stands out then for you? Yes. And and I, because I'm, I call myself the woman of words or the word police, I have trouble with living. If I'm just technically on vacation and I still have a home somewhere else, I, I don't really call it living somewhere else. It's just staying. Hmm. And yeah, I was kind of disappointed, like, oh, I've only traveled to 18 countries. I, I need more. I need <laughs> only more. 18. <laughs> but yes, I did. Living in Santiago was a, a massive shift. And it came through life coaching. And I kept talking about it with my very first life coach, actually, Claire. And she, it was our last call. And she said, stop talking about it. And just do it if you're going to do it. And I really had like 
the vision of a light bulb. <laughs> I can remember where I was at the table in my condo in downtown Toronto. And I went about selling everything. I think it, well, first I decided that I wanted to teach business English. So I went back and got my certification at the university to get that done and dusted. And uh, it was magnificent in so many ways, a lot of work, but really I sold my condo, my car, and everything and put my life into three suitcases Wow! and just did it. And my intuition and my desire to do that was on my side because I was just madly in love with Spanish, Hmm. the Spanish language. And I still am. And so I ran into a fellow. I think it was in the days when you had those posters on bulletin boards. I was at the university and there was a posting of a fellow who wanted to do English-Spanish exchange. And so we met up at the cafe a couple times a week. And lo and behold, he was from Santiago, Chile. Hmm. And then he put me in touch with his sister-in-law, who picked me up at the airport and let me stay with her for a couple of weeks while I found a place. Total stranger, but Hmm. uh, it just happened so systematically. When I lived there, I took a lot of taxis. I didn't own a car at the time. So that was always the question multiple times a day. Do you Mm. like living here? And it was always, depende del día. Depends on the day. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) When were you there? 2005 until 2012. Okay. Hmm. Nice. Have you been back since? No, but I would love to. I saw on your Puttyverse profile that the most memorable life-altering book that you've read is Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, which is like literally describing what you just said of like, I just packed up into three suitcases and went to another country. And so I'm curious, did you read that book before you did that move or after? Before, long Ah, before. Okay. Yeah, I think I was in my um, late 20s when I decided that I'd had enough with so much indecision and not knowing what to do. So I just started upon a, I'm going to read every self-care book there is that is in publication. And I think I have, but actually now this year and last year, I'm, I'm saying no to more than ever before. But yeah, that's a pretty old book. And hmm. yeah, she's still on my list. I think I own the book, it might be in my many boxes of books that haven't gotten unpacked from my move yet. But absolutely, I live by that because there's so many things to be fearful about. So just do it. Mm. Was that the maybe the biggest moment or application of that principle or have you done it in other ways since then? I think I do it every day. Okay. Weekly, monthly, because there's always things that come up that cause anxiety and worry Mm. and indecision. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Like it doesn't have to be something as big as selling everything you own and moving to Santiago, Chile. You can you can face uh I guess choices and moments uh every day and even the little things, yeah. but it all matters. Yes, yes. Especially the little things. Those things that can hold us back. Yeah. Yeah, I have had to have some difficult conversations at work, my my new job recently, and not because things are going badly, but just 
Uh, surprise to the Puttyverse and anybody listening, I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh, surprise, Deb. Congrats. Is this the official announcement? <laughs> this Fantastic. might be the official announcement. <laughs> I feel more comfortable announcing it now because I told my job and like it's, okay. it's out there. But that was the difficult conversation I had to have was like, hi, I've only been working here since October and I'm due in March. But I had to do it. You know, I just had to because I have to tell them. <laughs> I have to tell yes. them I'm taking leave and stuff, right? So, yeah. And it was not easy. And then I had to tell them that I, so my original plan was to take six months off and then my husband would take six months off. Long story, but we're going to have to do it differently and I'm going to have to take 10 months off. So then I had to tell them after I had already told them I'm taking six months off, had to tell them, just kidding, four more months on top of that. So hey. hard conversations, right? And I was so anxious about it the whole time, but yeah, I just had to do it. <laughs> of course, you got to get on with your life plan. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You do. Wow. Well, now I can officially say congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my yeah, gosh. That's yes. great. But I mean, that's also a big example of feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Because like this baby's yeah. coming and right. it's definitely scary, but yep. it's also super exciting, you know? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And the baby needs calm. The mm -hmm. baby needs mom to be calm. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah, why I'm a taking a leave. <laughs> right. I don't know how people in the states do it. I my heart goes out to them because I'm from mm -hmm. the states, and if I had stayed there, this would be a totally different situation. And yeah, you're lucky to get a few weeks, right? <sighs> yeah, you're lucky to get a few yeah. weeks. And most people, it may depend on the state you're in. There might be some somebody in the states is going to be yelling at us right now as they're listening. But there might be some uh, <laughs> uh, what's it called, like medical leave. Some people might be able to take and stuff. But I mean, hmm. jobs don't offer maternity leave, and they no. don't have to. So, yeah. Plus the cost too. You you had to pay thousands of dollars to have a baby, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I we don't want to dump on it here, but I mean, it is a different experience for sure in places like Canada and, and Europe and elsewhere where you have the the public health care and yeah, it's just a different mm -hmm. whole different approach to these things. Yep. Yeah. That's actually also ties into travel and the experience of traveling and living in different places like you might go to a place that has a very different healthcare system than your home country or that you're used to and how do you navigate that you know and not just healthcare like sure. the whole structure could be different the whole system yeah. yeah and that's what i had to decide before i moved to santiago because mm. mexico was up there mm. head and head and uh mexico with my research it just had too many levels of not very trustworthy people in power, let's mm. say, in a nice general way. Yeah. And yeah, Santiago, Chile as a country, has a very, as non-corrupt as it can get, government and police force. That's good. So I felt very safe talking nice. to police. Mm -hmm. I don't know that much about Chile, so that's cool. It's so beautiful, really. Yeah, but I'd also, love to go. Yeah, as there are a developing country. And that's how I learned that there's that plateau in between where they're working on becoming a developed mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. I'd never really put that into a possibility before. So that's what you observed and experienced while you were there, that kind of middle, mm -hmm. hazy middle ground. I think it's when you're building the middle class, right? I think because there's either, there's always an elite rich, you know, the people who control the levers of power in, in the economy, and mm -hmm. then there's everyone else at the bottom. And if you're going to have a thriving society, everything from democracy to participation and, and purchasing power and all these things, you need a strong middle class. And I don't know, I think, hope maybe they're building that more and more in Chile and other places. What was your observation of that? That's a big hole in the middle. <laughs> That's yeah. what's absent. The middle piece. Absolutely. A lot of extremely wealthy people. Yeah. Oh, interesting. 
Yes, yes, that's the, um, in Santiago anyway, the the higher up the mountain your house is, the mm. more money you have, you know, if right. you have enough money to build a house and hire two cranes to do it. Wow. There was a lot of conversation about that. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. What yeah. did you end up doing there for those, what, you was seven years, you said, right? Yeah, eight Eight years. Yeah. What did you end up doing there? That's why I went back and got my certification to teach business English. Oh, right. Okay. And so within corporations, Mm -hmm. which I was very comfortable with. When I was in Toronto, I worked for 20 years in IT, everything from software developer to business analyst and project manager. And so I was very comfortable with with, uh, techies. And that's often the jobs I would get at very high profile companies that wanted their people who quite often communicate with the customers in other parts of the world and then English being the universal language. So I got a lot of gigs that way. And then I morphed into translations. Oh, okay. That was interesting. The beginning part was pretty rough, but... (laughs) And the really interesting component of that is I was at this gorgeous yoga retreat and we're in the, just after lunch, just a massive room with a sea of tables and chairs. And I met someone and we were speaking English. And across the room, this guy yells out to me. And he says, hey. <laughs> and I don't remember, it's been a while. I don't remember exactly how we started it out. But what I ended up doing was the translation for the miners that were trapped underground. Oh, really? He was a university professor, and he needed someone to do his translations. And I got to know him well. And the last job that I did was his involvement. I can't remember exactly, but he was the minister. Maybe the minister of mining was interviewing all the people involved, the journalists and the people who were trapped once they were released from the underground mine situation and it was a, mm. one of the most difficult things because the slang was so heavy mm. i had to hire someone to help me with that slang cuz i didn't have enough knowledge of that but it was like wow i vaguely remember this this is the i just looked at it, 2010 the i guess the copiapo mining accident is that the one yeah uh-huh. copiapo is the town i vaguely remember that being in the yes. news as well for 69 yeah. days here it says wow Oof. yeah so when you were involved, that was after the after it was over. Yeah, quite a yeah. while after, right? Once they had enough time to digest it and and figure out what to do and how to compensate people and things like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, then they did an article on it. Wow, that's quite a story, though, for you to be so involved in a pretty key part of it. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was. <laughs> also, in that year, February one of the biggest earthquakes occurred. Yes. I experienced at the 8.8 for three minutes. I remember that well. Okay, tell us about that. I was going to ask you. Yeah, tell us about that. (laughs) You were on the floor, you said? Yes, because Haiti, the massive earthquake that happened in Haiti was sometime before that. I'm Hmm. guessing six months or something. So there was always talk about that. You know, how can we help them and and support them? And then I want to say it was February something. Yeah, I was digging up all of the different things in my life. 
Saturday, February the 27th at 3.34 a.m., the earthquake was 8.8 for three minutes. And I was at a party the night before and I got home late. Like maybe I went to bed at one or so. And then it started to happen. Like minor earthquakes were always there and you had to really be sitting down to feel it. So if you're, if you felt like somebody was behind touching your chair, okay, that's like a mild earthquake occurring. Like, you know, maybe you're on a patio having drinks or something. And so this was, you know, it woke me up out of bed and all those things went through my head. Like, where do I go? Doorway, no doorway, uh, make an arch with a table and think about that. So I just got on the floor beside my bed and I was like clutching the blankets thinking, oh, maybe I didn't give enough to the people in Haiti and I'm being cursed. Oh, no. <laughs> And it was it was wild. So once it ended, then yeah, I went down and uh, the condo building that I was living in. Well, almost every building there has a concierge, day and night. And so we just gathered around there with the radio, mm-hmm. everybody in their pajamas because it's not really safe to be outside because something else could fall. And I just remember getting colder and colder and colder because I didn't really, I just had my pajamas on and um, it was shocking, but it was, it was definitely far out of the city. In the city of Santiago, there were some major damages, but mm. overall, not as much as in the South. Okay. And then I did have an opportunity to get together with some of the other expats and we asked for funds from all of our friends and, you know, in our home countries. And we built up a pretty good fund. And we, we did our own little work through buying things that were needed, clothing and, and food. And we had a driver that would drive down to the south and deliver it. Oh, nice. And, yeah, that felt good. That felt really good. Wow. So this whole time, what's your Spanish level at? Because you said that you were gathering around listening to the radio, so you were able to like understand what was on the radio and the people around yes. you and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, cool. absolutely. Cool. That would be very important in an emergency situation. Kind of, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, learning a language is like the best part is when you get to the point where you can ask for what you don't know. Yeah. You know, until you can't ask for that, then yeah. you feel a little, little trapped because you can't move forward. Mm-hmm. But yeah, by then... I knew quite a bit, and I had studied it. Are earthquakes, they're pretty common down there, aren't they? Very, very common. So are things built pretty much to mitigate or withstand a lot of that? Nothing is built without reinforced steel and concrete. Yeah. Yeah. I know like in Japan, the high rises, they design them so that they move with the rolling Mm -hmm. of the (laughs) of the ground so that they don't actually collapse. So I was just curious if there was something similar to that. Yeah, they definitely have that built into the a few very tall office buildings. Mm. You know, they still even with earthquakes around, they still like to build those very tall buildings. Mm. They talk about Vancouver when quote unquote, the big one comes, it's going to be a sea of glass downtown because they didn't Mm -hmm. think to build anything Ah, to withstand the earthquakes because mm. that's smart. 
yeah. my husband well, went and did an emergency um, course. I don't even really know what to call it, but it was a day long where they learned what to do in these kinds of emergencies, what to do in an earthquake, what to do in a fire, etc. Because he's a teacher. And so he was given the day to go and do that as like a, a professional development day. And they said, yeah, downtown Vancouver is screwed when it comes. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And what I learned from earthquakes is you really have to be sitting or standing. Mm. If you're walking, you don't feel it because mm. you're already you already have movement in your body. It's distinct and it's random. Yeah. 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 And I think, okay, please don't continue. A few seconds mm. is fine, but please don't continue any you longer. You know, you have three <laughs> minutes of it. Like, my gosh. yeah, that's an eternity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Oi. Oi is right. Well, that's so interesting, Deb. I didn't know about your Chile travels. Now, in Chile, is that where you became an accomplished wine label writer in Spanish? I did. Uh huh. What was that like? How do you get something like that? That's a great random job. I love it. It is. And you know how many private tours I got for wineries? Like, I can't even count anymore. More than 10. Because you just, it's such a small community. You, you start talking. For the first couple of years, I said, no, 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 I just want to live downtown. Everybody advised against it. And, and like, no, no, I just want to live with the people, you know, I want to be downtown. <laughs> and they're like, no, you don't want to do that. It's very dangerous. Mm. <laughs> but then I did. After a year or so, I woke up and said, okay, yes, I'm going to move to the suburb called Providencia, <laughs> where, where you just bump into lots of expats. And then I started joining all the expat groups. And life did change quite a bit. So it was, I remember her and I think, how did I, I can't remember how I made her. I think through a friend connected us up because wine was always the topic, of course. (laughs) Oh, another wine tasting? Oh, wine tour? Yes. Sign me up. Private wine tour? Even better. So yeah, she needed somebody. She was from France and she was working there for like a two year period or something at one Chocolan actually was the winery. I should look it up and see where they are today. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would ask to be paid in just give me a case of wine. Sure. <laughs> one, one of everything. And, and yeah, I remember that day because that was my wildly important goal to be doing business in a boardroom, speaking Spanish. Yeah. And there I was speaking to her and we were talking about the labels and, uh, oh, because that's an interesting writing thing where you have to be so concise, right? Like edit and edit and edit it down because you have like how many words, you know, on the small little label to get something. Well, actually, it's a good question. What's the objective when you're writing wine labels? Is it to sell the wine? Is it just to sound yes. good language that's flowery kind of thing? Or what's your mindset? It was difficult for me. I had to really change it up because I my brain is in IT and technical writing is, you know, A, B, C, do mm-hmm. one, two, three. And I had to really put the flowery touch on there. Plus in Spanish? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Well, learn the Spanish mm-hmm. and then put the labels in English. Oh, okay. Sometimes it was both, mm. but usually they needed somebody, a native speaker to do their English. Yeah, doing both. And yeah, it had to be flowery and draw you in and so many, because that's what people do. You know, they grab the bottle, they read the back and, you know, juicy, cherry, deep terroir. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I am guilty of looking at wine label art and basing whether or not I want the wine on that, which is not always great. <laughs> right. 
But I am too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I miss being able to buy groceries and wine under the same roof. Right. Oh. Because it should be like that in my mind. Was... Come over to Quebec. You can do that here. <laughs> yeah. They actually, uh, I'm still able to vote in Colorado because I'm from there and they do quote unquote overseas voting, which is I'm not overseas, but that's what they call it. So they had a thing in there about um, selling wine or sell. it might have been wine and beer in supermarkets and it did not go through, but I voted for it because I was like, this is silly that we don't do this. Like, Mm -hmm. this is silly. (laughs) In Colorado. So they passed the marijuana thing, but they won't sell. (laughs) They also passed the psychedelic drug thing where it's they're decriminalizing psychedelic drugs. Yay. But alcohol, you know, I don't know. (laughs) Psilocybin, bring it on. Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. actually a big reason that they want to do that is they want to get ahead in the medical sphere with that as well, which I'm Mm -hmm. all for. Like I. Sure. Anyway. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast episode. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think that that's like clinical appeal form of psilocybin to me is like enlightenment. It can just like kill your ego and turn you into, in my very, very limited research, just turn you into this kind, compassionate new being. And there's a lot of evidence to show that for mental illness, it can be certain mental illness, it can be really beneficial too. So. Yeah, I'm all for that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway. That's a good topic. It is a good topic. Maybe something we should do that. We'll put it on the list. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We'll wrap up at least chatting about language because we often come back to languages on this show. It's often maybe a core identity or experience of multi-potentialites. There's lots of multilingual people. Are you people just interested? You know? So, Deb, do you, now that you've been back in Canada for like 10 years, do you get to still practice Spanish? Do you still have it mm-hmm. part of your life? What's your relationship with it now? It's a little bit distant, but I did, up until last year, I had uh, one, one, the same reoccurring student come to me because she was traveling all throughout uh, Latin America, and she just wanted to understand her music better that she was listening to and how to get by with the basics. So I don't mind teaching the basics, but I don't, I don't have enough credentials to go beyond that. And I certainly love sharing all of the basics to get you through. I was gonna say because I'm doing Spanish on Duolingo, which is fine up to a point. And I'm like, I'd love to get better at Spanish and I would love to take a class, but I just don't really have the funds or time right now, especially with a baby coming and whatever. But uh, I wouldn't say that I know enough basics, though, to like get together and like have a conversation or anything like that, you know? Yeah, but sometimes a good starting point is just to learn the words. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's how I did it for myself. Mm -hmm. Toy Story in Spanish. Mm. I I watched that hundreds of times. You know, something that I really enjoyed. And I labeled everything in my condo. Everything. Forks, knives, door, doorknob. And then it just came to me. In my head, I was fluent. Mm. (laughs) Not really, but at least it was a basis. (laughs) When you start dreaming in the other language, then then you've made a big step. Yes, yes. And that was a point. I Mm -hmm. actually have, when I was taking Japanese in high school, I took it for three years and I got really good. Started dreaming in very basic Japanese. And then I've taken American Sign Language on and off for a few years. And I started dream. I, I have dreams sometimes in American Sign Language. Don't know if they're 100% accurate, but they're there because it's because yeah, it's a language. It's just like any other it language. Is. It's so interesting. And then yeah, I do have yeah. dreams in German too, which I'm fluent in. 
that happens once in a while when I remember my dreams. I don't often remember them, but that's a pretty uh-huh. cool thing when you wake up and you're like, oh, what? <laughs> I had right? a dream in Japanese. Yeah. I feel I have like better or strange vocabulary or ease in French in my dreams often than in like real life. Cause I'll have a dream. Yes. And I mean, it's all blur right now, but you know, when you wake up and like I just had a dream where there's conversations, perhaps with family or someone around was like in the dream. Yep. And they were talking very detailed, complex French. I would never think to say that like in my waking life, you know, but this all came from my brain. I mean, this is fascinating to think how the brain works in the dream. All of that conversation that happened in that scene in the dream was created by my brain, you know, so it's in there. And yet, obviously, it's a different wavelength or processing and, and, and all the electrons, chemical stuff that's happening in your brain, right, to process the language while you're sleeping versus while you're going about your day-to-day life. But it's amazing yeah. that it all comes in the same place. Are you better at French when you drink? <laughs> um, oh, good question. <laughs> I suppose. I think it's probably the same now, actually, mm. to be fair. But years ago, I would have been, yeah. Because I find the inhibitions, getting rid of the inhibitions yeah, makes a difference, too, because my German is like really good when I'm drinking. Because <laughs> in the dream, the people who are talking in the dream they're obviously speaking fluently and I'm giving them that kind of persona, you know, and it's like, so they're free to speak without those inhibitions because they're a native speaker type thing. And that's how my brain is setting it up, I think. Again, and when you're, when you're in your waking day to day life, like you're just conscious of way too many things, emotions and feelings and yeah. apprehensions or whatever it is, right? And all that disappears, I think, when you're in your dream. Yeah, Whether maybe. it's yourself talking or like a character in your dream. It's amazing. Yeah, maybe it has something to uh-huh. do with, maybe it's not inhibitions exactly, but kind of yeah. that same thing in your brain. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. interesting. I, I've studied dreams and I would love to do it again, it, but it's like a part-time job, all yeah. the recording and <laughs> yeah. and all, all of that kind of thing. But yeah, what I always pay attention to is how I felt when I wake up from a dream and I can really remember pieces. Mm. I always ask myself, how did I feel? You know, was I scared, confident, or what? Hmm. Do you dream in Spanish ever? I haven't in a while. Okay. Yeah, I've been away from it now for 10 years, so. There's a really, really something to be said for being immersed in a language as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I really find my, my German is, you know, fine when I'm here. But then if I go to Germany, it's a matter of a couple days, and I'm just like, no problem. It comes back so fast because mm-hmm. it's just around you everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I love languages. I feel like I could talk about languages forever. Oh, me too. <laughs> I've got to learn some Portuguese here soon. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Right. And I think, Ted, what you said about multi-potentialites being very interested in languages is so true. And I, I wonder if it's because there's just so many of them that we can try to learn. And it's almost like endless possibilities, which for our multi-potentialite brains mm-hmm. is like, ding. <laughs> love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. More to learn. Yeah. <laughs> Before we wrap up, I want to ask you, so when you experienced the in-person, old school in-person talks with the current Dalai Lama twice, what was that like? What was the circumstance and how intimate was it? Like, How many people were there? Uh, never intimate with him. It's massive crowds. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there I was kind of in, in the middle of a massive crowd. Okay. First time was in Toronto. And the second time I saw him in person was in Santiago. And the crowds were smaller, definitely. So from me to where he was, probably a a row of like 20 people or so. 
but it just, it has a good feeling to be in the same room. Even though I'm not a religious person, I was just kind of holding on to Buddhism there for a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just seems to me he does the right thing. Mm -hmm. He makes the right choices. <laughs> yeah, interesting. But he, he seems very down to earth, you know, very light. And certainly his teachings are not light, but I, I'm not religious, so I don't follow true Buddhism. I just take the summary component of meditation meditation in my own way. Actually, before I came on here, I have my meditate for eight on my phone so that I can just like, ooh. Yeah. Insight Timer is a wonderful app. That is a great app. Yes. I love it to bits. And yeah, that's what I create for myself is meditate for eight because I don't procrastinate or I don't, you know, say no, no, I don't have time for that. I always have time for that because it's so short. Totally. Yeah. It's a really yeah. good way to reframe it. So what does it help you focus for eight minutes or something? Yeah, because you get to choose. You can build your own music, no sure. music, how long you want it to be, beginning bells, ending bells. And uh, I was teaching. I had a meditation group I was doing um, just for the community center as a volunteer. And so I had some meditation classes going there. Like some people are afraid of that word meditation. It just sounds so stiff. You know, you have to do this and you have to do that. But you really mm -hmm. don't. You just do it your own way. Mm -hmm. And so I have meditation that is when I get in my vehicle. I sit and before I turn the vehicle on, I sit for a minute and enjoy the silence. And just that mm -hmm. couple of breaths helps a lot. So I do that mm -hmm. here, there and everywhere rather than sitting like a pretzel. Uh, in pain. <laughs> oh, my ankle hurts, but you're not supposed to move. No, no, it's okay. Stand up if you need to. Walk if you need to. You can still be meditative. It just takes time and practice. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like the giving yourself permission to just do it the way that's going to be the best for you. I like to lie down and meditate, but I will fall asleep. So I don't usually do that. <laughs> yeah, I did that for a long time and I allowed it. It's like, yeah, that moment between wake and sleep mm. is so delicious. Like, oh, yeah, True. I want more of that. <laughs> I think it just kind of depends on what your goal is. Is your goal to go back to work in 10 minutes or is are right. you okay with just letting go for the rest of the afternoon? Yeah, which sometimes is great. Like sometimes yeah. you've got that. So yeah, yeah anyway. Mix it up. It's been a great conversation. We've kind of bounced around the world a bit and talked about lots of different things and got to know Deb much better. So it's been nice having you here. Learning your story, so yeah. insights. It's been awesome. Very you're good. welcome back anytime. If you want to, oh, if you're interested in podcasting, I think we chatted a bit about this before. If you're interested in podcasting, then to you and, and of course, anybody listening, you know, this is a community show. It's really available for anyone. If you want to practice podcasting, co-host an episode, have a conversation with somebody, record it. We'll show you how to do it. We'll get you set up. But this platform is for you. It's not just like me and Vanessa or anything. Anyone, Puttyverse wants to use it. It's available do a little guest episode, co-host with us, whatever you want. Uh, just get in touch, leave us a message, you know, through the forum. We do have a show email, themultipodcast at gmail.com. So you can always send us an email. But really, anybody, Deb, of course, but anyone listening, keep it in mind. Like, if you really, if you're yeah. interested in podcasting, if you want to have those conversations and have a place to document it and know the people listening. I really learned this five years ago when we started this show. It was nice to know that there was some people listening. We knew there wasn't going to be thousands of people, and that was fine too. We, it was a nice number of people. 
we usually get a couple hundred downloads or so within the first, say, week or two, and then it kind of trickles up from there. But just to know that somebody is listening, there's not like four or five people listening, there's somebody. And that really gives a bit of meaning and, and it, it makes it a little more legitimate, you know, to do what we're doing, to have the conversations. And again, if you want to practice or just try things out so that, yeah, there's somebody listening, they might give you some feedback and it makes it more worthwhile. So really keep it in mind if anyone's interested in that. Absolutely. And, uh, as of March, I will not be as active for a little while anyway. <laughs> I might actually be able to, like, the, in March, I'm taking some, like, I have a new baby, obviously, but I'm also taking time off from work. So it might be that, well, Ted, you're going to be traveling, but it might be that we can pop on and have a conversation yep. just for 20 minutes or something, do a little update or whatever. Like, there might be times when I can do that, too. So I'm sure. not, like, going away forever. I love doing this show. Yeah. I feel like Ted is really the backbone of the whole operation, and I really publicly also want to say thank you for that. Oh, thanks. I really appreciate it. This is one of the longest commitments I feel I've ever made, five years almost. Mm. We're going to be celebrating that soon, but to commit to something consistently for five years, of mm -hmm. course, we know is an eternity for multi-potentialites, right? <laughs> right. But it helps when you talk to really interesting people and talk about all sorts of different things, and yep. there's no, like, we're going to always talk about this topic, because that's not what multi-potentialites do, so... The variety must keep you. It's yeah. been great. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, everybody. Oh, I really enjoyed that. It really, like Ted said, just going to be a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> See where it takes us. Right. Cool. I'm glad we got you on. And if you ever want to come on and niche down into a topic or not, you're always welcome back. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great. All right. Take care. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Vanessa. Thanks, everybody. Ciao. Bye, everybody.